like, oh, the day my baby turns four months, they're not going to sleep anymore because everything changes. And that's totally not the case. Like starting at six weeks, the baby starts making their own melatonin where before they just were having it from the mom. With people, when we talk about birth experiences, they might be minimizing their trauma because we've been taught intergenerationally that this is just how it is. Right. Oh yeah, like the doctor made that decision, didn't talk to you about it, of course. Or, oh yeah, you know, they used an implement that was extremely painful for you and uh, often unnecessary. That's just what they had to do, right? There's a normalization of trauma doesn't mean that it's any less traumatic. And everything would just get solved with birth control pills. But I kept feeling like this is counterproductive. Right. Grandmother, my great grandmother had 10 kids. Mm. My paternal grandmother had nine. So in my head, I'm thinking, you know, this, this is black people don't have this issue. I've mm. never heard of black people having this issue. Hey, welcome to the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I own a group practice where we specialize in women's issues, maternal mental health, and all things wellness. Here on the podcast, we're going to be talking about parenthood, how to take care of yourself, and a little bit of in-between things. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Something that you may not know about me is that I own a group practice that offers mental health services. It's called Push Through Therapy. And we have a collection of amazing clinicians that are dedicated to help serve our clients. So if you're struggling with any anxiety, depression, stress, difficulty doing any type of task, ADHD, transitioning with work, friendships, relationships, grief and loss, parenthood, anything that you feel like you could benefit from talking to someone to gain some coping skills, some strategies, tools, or even just to have a place to talk about the challenges in which you face. Head on over to our website at keisharibs.com, look through our list of amazing therapists, and select the one that you think would be a great fit for you. Our administrative assistant will set you up with an intake appointment and take care of all of your questions and needs. We're here for you. Today on the show, I am sitting down with fellow therapist, Damaris Johnson, who is a marriage and family therapist. She is offering an upcoming event that is amazing. It's called Field Day, and she's offering a $40 off promo code using the promo code PUSHTHROUGH, all capital. That's P-U-S-H-T-H-R-U, PUSHTHROUGH. Use that promo code in order to get $40 off of Field Day. I'm also going to put the link to the event in the show notes of the show today. And what is Field Day exactly? It's formerly known as Marriage Games. It's a competitive Field Day event for couples who are either dating, engaged, or married. It's going to be held on September 23rd, which is a Saturday, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. You don't want to miss this. It's going to be at St. James United Methodist Church um, in Atlanta, Georgia. So use our promo code. Head on over to Field Day. I'm going to ask my husband if he wants to join so we can compete (laughs) and make sure that you get your ticket before they all sell out. Thank you for joining me for another episode. 
of the Push Through Podcast, and I'm so excited to introduce our next guest, Demarge Johnson, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she owns a group practice in the Buckhead area called Walk of Life. Um, She has a specialty in working with couples as well as perinatal mental health, and she is my group practice bestie somebody that I can be able to bounce things off of and work alongside on a work retreat and get things done. I'm so grateful for her. And thank you for being on the show, Demars. Well, thank you, Keisha, for having me. Um, I was very flattered when you asked me about the podcast. I was like, of course, let me sign up right now. Um, but yeah, thank you. That is who I am um, professionally for sure. And mom and wife, uh, you know, I think we carry a lot of hats and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, work and life become one, but it's been a pleasure getting to know you on both sides. I agree. Um, what for, for us to have our listeners have like a more understanding of like who you are and where you're from. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about, because I know you're not a Georgia native, and for them, yeah. um, just where you're originally from and how mm-hmm. you got into this work? Yeah. So whenever people ask me where I'm from, I always take a deep breath because I'm like, how how back, how back far back should I go with this? Um, so I was born in South Dakota, but I was raised in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in Arizona up until high school. And then in high school, we moved to Georgia, um, you know, suburbia, Georgia, of course, but I never left. I thought I was going to leave Georgia once I, you know, graduated high school, but I stayed, I went to UGA for undergrad and Mercer for grad school. Um, but my family is originally from East Africa, a small country called Eritrea, which is right there on the Horn of Africa. Um, so although I was born in America, um, I consider myself an Eritrean American. I speak both languages, English and Tigrinya, mm. and it's a big part of my identity. I love it. When we were on the work retreat, Damaris had spoken her native language. Cause I just, I love all things like people's <laughs> cultures and backgrounds and just learning about yeah. things. And we had talked about how Nipsey Hussle is also from that same country. Sure is. It sure is. That's right. <laughs> and um, it was just so like interesting and fascinating to me. But um, what about your background led you into going into the mental health field? Yeah. So um, when I first decided to, this is what I wanted to do, you know, start applying for grad school. Um, I was in my early twenties at the time and, you know, For me, I remember thinking like, wow, you know, I really would love to work with this very specific population, which is first and second generation immigrants. Um, As someone, again, whose family is East African, but I was raised, born and raised in America. As a young child, as a young adult, I really struggled with like this whole idea of like dual identity, Mm. Um, really experiencing what it's like to be African in the home, but American outside the home and having to kind of navigate two separate cultures at the same time. Um, It was really challenging. It was very, very difficult. Um, And in some ways it was very isolating. Uh, And then when I moved from Arizona to Atlanta, again, I was like around the age of 14. 
that was really the first time I was around other East African kids, teenagers, you know, and it was like both exciting, but also like in some ways, like made me much more aware of how much I missed out on. Um, and so when I was getting ready to go to grad school, you know, you're interviewing all that. They're asking, what, what's your reason for pursuing this field? I just remember thinking like, wow, I wish I had somebody to like, when I was younger, to have talked through some of these challenges of like, just navigating two different cultures and how awkward and difficult it can feel. Because at the time, I felt like I was the only one doing that. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of my friends in Arizona I mean, all of them were American. Like, none of them really understood like the immigrant upbringing. So, you know, um, ironically though, I got into the field and <laughs> that's the last thing I do. I rarely work with immigrants and a big part of it is the stigma. You know, the stigma around mental health is still pretty, pretty strong um, in some parts of the world. And so uh, I'm, you know, I try to do like um, with the Reaching Community Center, I still do certain events there when I can or speak um, at certain events. And that's kind of the way I can still, you know, do that part of the work, but also recognizing that there's still a lot of work to do to kind of destigmatize mental health before we see things change. That's amazing. Um, and, and that's good that it was kind of, it sounds like linear to you. Like it doesn't sound like it was, we talked about this before, but it doesn't sound like you had wanted to become, I don't know, an astrophysicist and then you pivoted and <laughs> did, you know, marketing, but kind of like, this is what I wanted to do and and how all of this kind of um, unveiled itself for you. Um, yeah. Before we circle back into your career, because I know that a part of your specialty is perinatal mental health and you're a mom. Um, yeah. Were there any maternal influences for you? And did you always know that you wanted to be a mom? Wow. Um, you know, that's an interesting question because, uh, and I think I've shared this with you before, like, you know, I'm here I am now, you know, I've been a mom almost eight years, but I have started to really reflect on like that question. Like, did I always want to be a mom? And I think for a long time, it wasn't something I thought about, do I want it or not want it? I just had this idea of like growing up in a traditional home, like this is just what you do. You go to mm-hmm. college, you get your degree, you start your career, you get married and you have children. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really, um, if I'm being honest, I just never really considered the alternative. Not saying I would choose the alternative. I am very grateful that I chose the path that I chose, but I don't always know if I can say I chose it. I think it was just like, this is what I thought was supposed to do mm-hmm. um and so that being said I am the oldest of three girls and it was always like and still is kind of a joke in our family that I've always been like a second mom to my younger sisters we had a pretty decent age gap between us and um so I kind of felt like I knew I thought I knew at least like what being a mom was like and uh you know then I became a mom and in some ways there are some similarities to being like the older sister who plays uh, the kind yeah. of parent role at times. But um, but there's also differences because, you know, I remember my sisters like kind of in their preteen years and me kind of being a bigger influence in life at that time. I don't remember them as infants. So that part was very different to me. Oh, so what, what has your motherhood journey 
been like? And, and has there been any challenges that you had to push through for? Well, do you want me to kind of share from the beginning, like when I had them yeah. and with that, I was like, so, you know, I, um, me and Steven, my husband, we got married in 20, May, 2014. And then that following January, so January, 2015, I found out I was pregnant and we weren't thinking we were going to start that quickly, you know? Um, but life just kind of happens. <laughs> and I remember my initial thought, um, actually at the time our church was doing the Daniel fast. And so we were, if you're familiar with the Daniel fast, um, or not, it's, you're pretty much eating just like raw fruits and vegetables for 21 days. And so here I am on the Daniel fast. And my first thought was like, oh my gosh, I got to feed this baby. <laughs> I just literally find out, I'm, you know, I see the pregnancy test and I'm like, I go to Popeye's and get food. I don't know why. I felt like I just <laughs> the biggest meal. I'm like, I've been starving this baby. <laughs> and the action was like, he was just like jumping for joy and super excited. And I was just nervous. I was like, oh my gosh. I don't exactly quite know like what I'm supposed to do now. Um, but it kind of worked out, you know, those that I was really grateful that I got a really good OB um, who later on we found out, you know, we had a connection through friends. Um, so it kind of helped to alleviate a lot of my initial worries of like, you know, what does this mean? What, what, what can I trust this person? Cause you know, it's just, you hear a lot about, you know, that's when we were starting to hear about like the mortality rates being significantly higher for black moms. And I remember thinking like, how do I pick the right doctor? How does this work out? So that kind of like worked itself out pretty well. But um, fast forward into labor and delivery. I was about a week past my due date and they were just like, you know, we're going to have to induce you at some point because she, you know, maybe it does have to come out. And to this day, I'm always like, that was probably the scariest day of my life because mm. I'm a very type A person. I'm the traditional older sibling, very structured. I like to plan and organize and, you know, know what's coming, but you just don't know what's coming. You have no way of predicting what your birth story is going to look like. You know, you can plan and I, and I still think you should plan, Um, but I had no idea how out of control the situation is going to feel, you know, yeah. like. You have a say so, but at the same time, like, does anybody really have a say so? It's just you have to go with what's going to happen. Um, so I was induced. Uh, I think it took like twenty four hours for labor to get started. Um, I got an epidural for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, which that story is crazy in itself because the resident um who was there was a classmate of mine from undergrad. Oh, wow. Just, I know. <laughs> I remember the nurse was like, do you know, are you, do you think about epidural? I was like, I, was like, I don't care. Whatever, something. Give me something. Yeah, I don't right. care what happens. To leave this and she's like, well, there's a resident available. I was like, I don't want any residents. That's <laughs> <laughs> his name. And I'm like, oh, wait, who? And then I, I remembered him like, oh my gosh, send him in here right now. Um, And so it was another moment of just kind of feeling like, whew, okay. I just felt like, you know, for me, my faith was a big part. I just like really felt like God was just like relaxed. Like mm -hmm. I know how this is going to play out and it's going to be fine. And, 
you know, the epidural happened and I was just like, okay, I can like, first of all, I have some really pain relief, right? And I can like kind of slow down my thoughts because I just didn't know, again, like what to expect, what's happening. It just felt like everything was just happening and I was just kind of like watching. Right. Um, so she was born, um, you know, it was, I mean, I guess, you know, as uh, as much as you can expect in terms of like, I, I don't want to say predictable, but it was just kind of, you know, it was a, a, I don't know, normal delivery, but um, it was, it took, you know, I had some like stitches and all that, and it took some time to recover. So that part was, you know, it was a challenge. I don't know how much in detail to go, but it was, you know, it took me a while to um, physically recover. And the interesting thing, and I guess I should go back is the same month I found out I was pregnant with my firstborn is the same month I moved my furniture into my office and started my private practice. Ah. And at that point, it's like, well, we've already signed this three-year lease. And I was like, I don't know. I didn't know what's supposed to happen. Right. Um. So when I, I was like, okay, I'm going to just take a month off from work and then I'll just slowly go back part-time. But again, you just can't, you can't really plan for the unknown, right? You can do your best, but you have to also be flexible and just go like gotcha. every situation. Is different. And that was probably my first time really seeing that in real time. Like Damaris, you can plan all day long and read all the books yet and still this may or may not go that way. Um, so I took probably, I took at least two months off and then I, I think I came back to work just very, very, very part-time, like one day a week. Mm-hmm. And then around month four, I started increasing my hours, but that's around the time I think I met you, Keisha, because. Oh, right, right, right. Me. You had to pump at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I don't know if I signed up for this training. I might've been pregnant when I signed up for the training. It was a training on maternal mental health right. and knowing how interesting it felt to be the pregnant woman. And I'm like, my feet, my emotions were all over the place during pregnancy. I, I could, I would remember crying at something and also laughing because I knew like what I was crying about made no sense. Like I would cry <laughs> at a commercial, right? Yeah. I would see a commercial and I would just be like in tears. And then Stephen would walk in the room. He's like, are you okay? And I'm just and I would laugh because I'm like, I, I logically know that this is nothing that I would normally cry about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I signed up for this training. I'm probably about five weeks, five months postpartum. I met you there, Keisha, and there's other, you know, women there. And everything we were talking about in the training, I'm like, I don't know if I'm here as a therapist All right. or as the client, you know, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> all this stuff can like resonate with you. Like when they're talking about like signs and symptoms. Yeah. I was like, this is real. And then of course I'm like stopping every hour and a half to go pump. I remember thinking like, I should just stay at home. This is a lot of stuff to pack with me. Um, But I'm really glad I went because it helped to, normalize a lot of what I experienced my very first month after delivery I just remember feeling like so deeply anxious and then also some sadness Mm. but I I didn't know what for you know I'm like what is happening it just felt very like 
two things were clashing, right? Like, I'm like, I'm so grateful. And I love this baby that I have, but I also remember feeling like, I hate feeling this stressed out. I was mm-hmm. so nervous all the time. Like, I couldn't ever really go to sleep. I felt like I was always awake, even when I was trying to sleep. So I'm like, I got to keep it ear out. Is everything okay? I would take a shower and that's when I would cry. Whenever I was in the shower, I would just cry, cry, cry. And then just try to wash everything off. Like literally and metaphorically, you know. Um, And it was just confusing because I'm thinking, I went to school. I went to school to learn about mental health. I went to school to learn all these things. And I still don't know what to do. And that can make it a little bit harder because you're almost putting yourself on this pedestal of you're a therapist you know what to do or you know you should be able to figure this out but (laughs) it's like you are human first and foremost Mm -hmm. before anything and it's and I'll tell people sometimes when they'll they'll say those things as if like because you're a therapist you're a superhuman and I'll say like you know Phil Jackson was a really great coach but could he play as good as Michael Jordan no it's different whenever you're like in it yourself and you're experiencing it yourself versus you're an outside person helping someone that you aren't emotionally tied to the situation absolutely absolutely um yeah that's exactly what it was and that was around the time I also started seeing the same therapist I see to this day um you know, again, the planner in me normally would research, right? Even when I was finding my OB, I'm researching exactly. But at that point, I was like, I don't care who I talk to. I just need to talk to somebody. And she was the first name I came across when I just searched, you know, therapist and like was part of or something. And um, I just showed up to her office and I was like, yeah, I don't, some, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening here, you know? And she helped me learn about like postpartum anxiety and recognizing like this is a season. Like you're you're not gonna necessarily stay in this state. Um, and I was like, okay, that that gives me a little bit of comfort to know like what do I do in the meantime, you know? Mm-hmm. So she was really great and really instrumental in like giving me the tools. Um, and more than anything, just the reassurance and comfort to know like. I'm not the first woman to experience this. This is not abnormal. It's not comfort. It's not like a good feeling, but it's good to know that like, I'm not losing my mind. You know, like this in some ways is an experience that a lot of women go through. Um, And so, you know, uh, I, I feel like around the six month mark, maybe nine month mark, I remember my husband was like, I think you're kind of coming back to yourself. I was like, Okay. Okay. <laughs> to be like, I think it's also when she started to sleep through the night a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so that was that was child number one. Um, and then let me tell you about kid number two. Yeah. So kid number two, that's my baby boy. Um, I felt way more confident the second time around. I felt like okay, I know. I know what's coming, even if what's coming is the unexpected. Like I kind of, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, I knew that I'm going to have to be open to whatever needs to happen for the baby to be delivered safely. Um, Same OB, uh, same therapist. <laughs> um, and uh, again, you know, we weren't 
quite sure if we were ready to go for kid number two. Kid number two happened. Um, and I was like, all right, great. You know, we're going to do this. And the, you know, what was different this time around was he was born, um, October 18th. Um, I was induced again with him. Um, and, but I remember when he was born feeling like, you know, this, like he's crying like a normal baby, but like, it just feels like something's not quite right. You know, he just, even while we were still in the hospital and I remember feeling really frustrated because the nurses, I felt like we're very dismissive of like, you're just thinking too hard. Like he's fine. He's just coughing up, whatever. Um, But I just, I could, I, I didn't feel settling. You know, I just was like, oh, it just doesn't feel right. Um, He was coughing a lot and like mm -hmm. almost like choking when he's coughing. Um, and so the postpartum anxiety I had from round one felt far more severe with round with the second child because now I'm like, but I, I'm not a first time mom, so I kind you know I remember my my daughter and it wasn't the same like she just wasn't her cough was just different, so we go to the pediatrician and bless her heart she was phenomenal we had already been having her for our first child. And she was like, you know, this is some, take him to the ENT. You know, he's something's ear knows something's going on with his throat. Um, and to make a long story short, they dismissed it as being normal. Pediatrician sends us back again. So they're like, okay, we'll do a sleep study just to be on the safe side, but we think everything's fine. They do a sleep study. Comes back, he's on average, he has obstructive sleep apnea. So he would stop breathing on average, like nine times in a nine hours. Yeah. And so they're like, this is pretty, you know, um, severe and it's going to require surgery. And in the meantime, between all this, the pediatrician had sent um, something to the to the house where he's being monitored 24-7 mm -hmm. um, in case he stops breathing. So I'm not like, talk about anxiety, like postpartum yeah. anxiety was like rampant and I was just I remember being really angry I was really really angry because I just felt like I had this expectation of like all the healthcare providers like y'all aren't taking me seriously and it just felt very much like dismissive and I don't know that they were not taking it seriously you know I think it's just you know they see a lot of babies and right I don't know but it was a lesson for me that like I'm the expert in my own kid though at the end of the day right yeah and advocating for my kid is more than okay. Um, it's like a collapse so thing, you know, like how we'll yes. our medical professionals to be the experts, but like you said, like you're the expert of yourself and your kid. They're the experts mm -hmm. on medical. And sometimes we have to guide them or prompt them or initiate them to look into a little bit deeper into something and it working together versus being dependent upon them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, the pediatrician was phenomenal. She advocated, I mean, bless her heart. She would call me after hours. Like she was adamant that he was seen and seen quickly. Um, and because of her, because of her advocacy for him, it, I think, pushed things along much quicker. Um, so the other, you know, specialists were like, okay, if she's going to send you back repeatedly, let's get this going. Um, so after the results came back within like two or three days, he had surgery. 
Um, and basically his airway was just too narrow. Because I guess it's a simple way to put it. So they had to do some stuff in the throat to kind of just make it the appropriate size. And when I tell you that baby came home the next day from the hospital, he was smiling. It was just like a different kid. Like you could just see the relief yeah. because he had been struggling to breathe, you know, this whole time for two months, he just wasn't breathing comfortably. And they mentioned, they described it as like breathing through one of those like coffee stirring straws versus ah. like a normal straw. Yeah. And so he just, it just, he brightened up. It was amazing to see. Um, but it was, you know, in that time, when I tell you, I did not sleep ever. So when we ended up hiring a nanny to come during the day and her job was to just sit with him so I could go to sleep and actually get some rest. Um, but it was a journey and it was like, I don't think I'm going to do this again. <laughs> I was like, we're done. After close. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that was that was the beginning um, of both journeys, and now they're four and seven years old. They're con- convinced that they're grown. <laughs> um, we're in a completely different season now. You know, they are school age. They sleep through the night. They're potty trained. It's a different world now. Is um, more freedom? The- oh my gosh, girl, girl! Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, I can sleep all night long. I can, you can dress yourself and <laughs> I can just put your on the plate and you'll feed yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. It's well, okay. Yeah. So going back when you had your daughter, you found out you were pregnant with her and you were starting to practice. How did you yeah. discover that? I mean, I know that your background obviously is a marriage and family therapist, but to mm-hmm. want to do premarital and couples counseling, um, yeah. What kind of set you into that specialty? Um, yeah, so you know, so throughout all of this was all, I was also married, right? So my husband <laughs> was going through his own experience of it, and a lot of it we didn't talk about while we were in it, but once we kind of came out of it, we were able to talk. And I think he also, not I think I know he told me that he didn't feel like he could express how difficult it was for him because he didn't want to burden me with his thing. You know, he was like, you were the one who had been pregnant and went through this labor. And he felt like he needed to just kind of suck it up, you know, and just like be there to support me. Um, but he had his own experience too of feeling really, really stressed out during this time. And naturally it impacted our marriage. It just felt like we were just like almost like running a business like we're just trying to function you know like we're like there's no like we couldn't focus on like can we do date nights you know like when they when the doctors are like yeah at six week checkup you know I think a lot of times people have this idea like at the six week checkup you're gonna be cleared for sex like that's what they're saying physically but emotionally you know like mentally that's a different part of like are you ready for anything Mm -hmm. um it took us months before we met a date night we had this whole like we're just trying to figure out how to sleep, you know? Yeah. So it made me, when I got back into practice, I'm like, I already did work with couples, but I really enjoyed working with couples who are new parents mm. because I realized like we put a lot of focus on the individual, but not realizing like the whole family unit is going yes. through this journey. Absolutely. You know, 
even when it's your second child, your other children are, they're in this with you. Like every, there's no way yeah. one piece of the system is being impacted without it having a ripple effect on everyone else. Um, and so that kind of, that's what kind of started steering me in that direction of doing a lot of couples work and kind of helping, you know, my ideal situation is like working with couples before the baby arrives, kind of helping them prepare and kind of know, again, not that you can predict what's going to happen, but how can you best prepare, you know? I, I think it is phenomenal, the work that you do, the practice that you have set up, because I think you're so right. I think, yes, more attention needs to be given to the birthing parent because that is life-changing physically, mentally, spiritually. And that needs to be something that has so much attention. But I also think, like what you said, the entire family unit, especially the partner, because they're having their own individual experience. And then they're also a support to the birthing parent and how it impacts their relationship, how they can be equipped to navigate this very stressful period of time. You could be grateful and stressful at the same time. And also have like tools to just navigate the future because, you know, even after postpartum, there's still so many more changes, you know, once they become one and two and they're in elementary school or, or whatever, just like how to parent, how to communicate, how to maintain your connection, how to support, um, how to maintain intimacy. It's, it's huge. So I think what you're doing is great. What, what would you suggest for couples? Cause I think sometimes in, in, this could just be like a stigma. The birthing parent or mother or woman can choose to come in for counseling for herself, but how does she get her partner to get on board? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, really understand the why, the why behind it all. Like why is even mom coming in for her own individual support? You know, for the most part, I think our whys are about having a healthy family and home. You know, you want to be a healthy mom, so you good for your family, good for yourself. And, you know, I think a lot of times there's, you're right, there is kind of stigma sometimes for the partner about like, we don't, why are we going to counseling? Because I think sometimes people hear couples counseling mm-hmm. and they see it as like, uh, does this mean we're like heading we're towards struggling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are we, is there a problem here? And it's like, no, no, it's quite the opposite. You know, I, I'm a, I truly believe the couple that comes in for counseling is far more healthy than the couple that doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. it's like somebody who goes to their, all their doctor's visits. It's not because they're always sick or something wrong with them. Like they are just very intentional about their health, right? If you are really intentional about your health, you're going to make sure you schedule your dentist. Like every six months you're with the dentist, you're going to get your physicals. You're going to eat healthy. You're going to do the things. If you ignore and just like turn you know, close your eyes to all things health related and just hope you turn out healthy. What's that likelihood looking at, like compared to the person who's really intentional? And that's how I see couples counseling. You know, of course people come in because they have things going on that are making the marriage challenging. But whenever you have just a life-changing experience, like a, you know, an event like having a baby, why not get all the support? Why not talk to somebody who can, help you prepare for that adjustment to your life right and so I think presenting it like that and letting your partner like you know like no we're not we're not struggling but I want us to just kind of grow and be prepared for what's coming and figure out how we can best 
um, plan for this next season. Yeah. I think it helps to kind of lower the guards and the fears of like, I'm worried about what's happening. Right, right. Yeah. It's like being proactive before things are at its breaking point. What yeah. what suggestions would you give to a couple? You know how like sometimes people, when they get married or they commit to one another, they can think that they're on the same page as far as like what this will look like after the baby gets here. And then the baby's here. And let's say dad thinks, well, I'm going out and working. Like that's that's my contribution. And mom yeah. is like, I'm drowning. And you need to do more than just get a check. Like, I'm not just out here hanging out, eating bun buns all day. Like, I have a 24-hour, seven days a week job. And they realize that they're not on the same page or what they yeah. thought this was going to look like. What tips, if you have any, would you suggest mm-hmm. to a couple prior to them having the child on things that they can ask themselves or work on mm-hmm. or think about before the time comes? Um, yeah, so we actually do this a lot in the premarital counseling. Um, we talk, if a couple knows that they plan to have kids at some point, what we do is we have them each kind of share about their own family of origin and what they witnessed. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this. I have done this many times in my marriage. There are certain things I just assume will go one way just because that's just how I saw my home, not realizing, oh, there's other ways this can play out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is especially important when it comes to having kids, you know, some people grow up in a home where their father was the primary breadwinner and that was his role and mom took care of everything else. Others grew up in a single parent home. So they saw mom do everything. She worked and she took care of the kids, you know, and there's so many different variations of that, but being able to just, you know, step one, just talk about what was your own personal experience so that you can have an idea of what your partner's even coming like into the situation with. It doesn't mean that they're gonna be stuck on doing things the way their parents did it, but it's just knowing. Like, let's just even talk about, did y'all grow up with similar um, examples for yourselves or different examples? And then what do you want to implement in your home? Mm-hmm. And what are some things you wanna see done different, right? Mm-hmm. You may say, hey, you know what? I did see my mom working and taking care of us and doing all the things. I don't want that to be our situation. I would like to be, um, I would like for us to share the workload when it comes to waking up at night, the kids or whatever, you know, arrangement that you want. But the whole point is to at least talk about it and know what were the differences in your upbringing and what you witnessed. And then talk about like, what do we want it to look like for us? Again, never going to be perfect in exactly how you plan it. But to like normalize having the discussion rather than the assumption of how it would look. That's awesome. What do you feel like for couples who are in the midst of the chaos and Mm -hmm. it has become administrative where it is just, okay, I did this, this, and this, and this, what you got going on, this, this, and that. And the romance isn't there. The connection isn't there. What tips would you offer for them to kind of climb out of that that cohabitating roommate feeling that they can have sometimes so i'm going to give two answers to this one the okay. first one is that i'm going to say option one if you can make this happen um which is however you can work it out 
for you to both get a full night's rest before any conversation. I think a lot of times when we are sleep deprived, we just don't make good decisions. We don't have patience. And we probably not going to really like anybody around us. You know, <laughs> like, so if that means paying for an overnight sitter, if that means asking one of your parents to come or take the baby over there, whatever it is, having an overnight sitter and you sleeping elsewhere or maybe going to your parents and you sleeping at home. Because most women will agree with the statement that you always sleep with one ear awake when you have a baby in the home. You know, men, not always. <laughs> I think I'm not going to say all, but most men, they can get deep sleep with their baby right there and not wake up when baby's crying. Yeah, yeah. Um, not all, um, but most women, I think, are always just can hear or listening out for a baby's cry. The first time that you can sleep, though, with somebody else watching baby, that's probably the first time you get like a good deep sleep and like real restorative sleep. So if you can make that happen, I would say do that first. And then being able to sit down and like just plot out date nights. I, I'm not even saying you have to be excited about them right now, but just plot out for the next two months, every week plot out. And it doesn't have to be, you know, sometimes you have to just make it work. Maybe go to sleep, we're gonna sit up late and do this together. But the idea is like, we're going to make it a homework thing right now. It's not going to feel enjoyable, but we're getting it, get back to the place of like intentional time where it's just about the two of you rather than the two of you figuring out how to do life with baby, you know? So mm -hmm. once a week, carve out two hours mm -hmm. and put it on the calendar and just go through the exercise of attending your date night. Yeah. Once a week. And it has to be about anything but the baby, you know? So if you have a sitter, great, go out the house. If not, put baby to bed and make it something different than your usual night in, you know, order and take out from a nicer restaurant, order some conversation cards, but you're just trying, what you're trying to do is like rebuild that connection. Because if you think about your dating experience before you got married, you probably just naturally enjoyed time with your partner, right? Wow. Life probably felt a little bit lighter. You didn't have to like, like figure out how to enjoy time with them. I think there's this misconception that that should never, that should always be a thing. Like we should always be able to just naturally enjoy time with one another. But that's not quite the case when you have a newborn, you know, yeah, it's hard yeah. to enjoy. Right. And so there's nothing wrong. Your marriage is not in crisis because you find yourself no longer enjoying time with your partner. Your marriage is just going through an adjustment. It's yeah. adapting to a whole nother human being and, you know, it, uh, kindling that fire or rekindling the fire cannot, it doesn't feel like a priority because you're in survival mode. Mm -hmm. um, but you really do want to be aware that it's not going to naturally come back to this place of like, oh, now we enjoy each other again. More often than not, you're going to have to like actively pursue getting back to that space. Right. Um, and again, nothing wrong with your marriage. It's it's just learning that this is what it's like when you go through a life-changing event. Right. My my last question is, what do you say, because sometimes this comes up, of mom is resentful toward dad. Dad mm -hmm. seems like he has some freedoms. He can kind of come and go, not have to strategically plan. She feels landlocked, chained. 
and resentment has built. And also like dad wants to help. He, you know, will come and ask like, what can I do? And, And that could be a trigger for her of, you live here too. Why do you have to ask me? You can see all the stuff that needs to be done. Or um, or even if he doesn't do it to mom's desire, what yeah. suggestions would you offer for that couple where, you know, both love each other and, and want to be with each other, but they're just not on the same page, maybe with communication or needs? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you're not going to agree. We see this a lot in our office. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I get it. You know, I was one of those moms. Especially <laughs> with my son, when he was on that, um, I can't remember the name of that monitor, that monitor to make sure he's breathing. It was a 10 foot cord on that machine. So like when I tell you, we were like, we were stuck to the sofa because I had, he was attached to the machine. The cord was maybe 10, 12 feet long. And I was not leaving his side. Mm. And my husband would offer like, you know, go ahead, go get your nails done. I'm like, I don't care about no nails. Like, <laughs> I make sure this kid's alive. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go watch the game. I'm like, what are you yeah. going to watch? <laughs> here and suffer with me. Like, I don't either. <laughs> um, so a lot of that is, you know, it is resentment. But I don't know that we realize in the moment that the resentment is not really always our partner's like fault, for lack yeah. of better words. Yeah. I think it is, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the idea of like we want we want it all. And there's nothing wrong with wanting it all, but we have to also be realistic, like, is all possible. For me, what was wanting it all was I want to relax and not be stressed out, but I also want to be the one keeping an eye on my kid around the clock. And I also want to be fully rested. And I also want my husband to appreciate, right? This is in my head. I want him to understand how hard this is for me. I wanted all that at one time. And those things were like clashing with each other. It's like, Damaris, come on. How can you want to feel rested and not stressed out, but you insist that you're the one who watches baby around the clock? Because you don't feel like he keeps a close enough eye. Mm-hmm. I saw you walk away to go make a sandwich, you know, so anything could have happened in those 90 seconds. <laughs> um, and that's where my therapist was really helpful. She was like, listen, you got two options here. You're going to continue to stay stressed out and like, and be really unhappy, or you're going to start to make some choices that may not feel comfortable right away, but they're going to help you feel like emotionally, mentally healthy, yeah. healthier over time. And so, you know, the, I guess to answer your question, it wasn't really work for me to do with my husband. It was really like my own individual work of like understanding, like, what am I upset about? What do I really want to happen? And how can I make these two things? Um, how can I reconcile that? Like what I'm, what I'm upset about and what I really want to happen? How can I realistically make those things happen? Um, And so I just started to create kind of like my own little self-care plan. And when I tell you basic girl, I had to start with like, okay, I'm going to make sure I brush my teeth in the morning. Like I'm not going to get to 2 PM and realize I ain't brushing my teeth. No, let's start with the morning. (laughs) Or I'm going to eat three meals every single day. And when I started to realize like, wow, this is really this is kind of sad that these are my goals, but I needed them. I needed to start real basic, 
foundational like self-care before I could get to the place of like I need a night off like I had to build to that point of like okay I can make time to brush my teeth in the morning okay I can make time to eat three meals a day okay I can leave baby at home with my husband it might only be for an hour the first time but you know I can't and, and it had nothing to do with him yeah it was nothing it when I once I realized that that kind of helped me and that's kind of how I approach it with my moms that I work with now is like we can sit here and talk about how crappy this feels and sometimes we need that space right but then also let's figure out you don't want to you know how you don't want to feel resentful towards your husband so let's figure out what we can do about that mm. and sometimes you gotta pull the husbands in like oh the dads and like hey um Let's talk about the yes. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more. So you just kind of recognize that everybody's different, but in some ways we're all similar too. Right. I love that. Um, so where for people who are listening who would like to follow you, book an appointment, where can they find you? And do you have any upcoming events or anything people can look out for coming down the pipeline? So glad you asked. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, our website is com, and our Instagram is at thewalkoflife. Um, and then my uh, Instagram is at Damaris Johnson LMFT. We do have an event for couples coming up called Field Day. Um, it's a field day event like you had when you were a kid in school. Um, but you are partnering with your partner. So whether you're dating, engaged, or married, um, bring your partner along. You're going to compete against other couples doing fun, you know, field day related activities. And it's all about like fostering connection. You'll be practicing the tools that we encourage in counseling, like proper communication, you know, um, how to be an active listener. And you're just going to have fun. It's a unique kind of date idea. Um, and we do have a, uh, I think we go to our Instagram page, you'll see a promo code to get a nice little discount. Okay. It's September 23rd. Um, and I would love to see all my couples there. Hey, that sounds amazing. Super, super awesome. I'm going to put a link to it um, in our show notes as well as put it in our newsletter. But thank you so much, Damaris, for being on the show. Thank you for offering your tips, sharing your journey with us. And thank you for all the wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for doing all this work as well. I, I can only imagine how much moms will appreciate it.